Hello and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm John Penry from Dairy Australia. The Australian dairy industry has become the first in the world to release a national set of guidelines to assist farmers who are looking to invest in herd feeding and housing infrastructure. In this episode, Dairy Australia's National Feeding and Farm Systems Lead, Karen Romano, and Program Manager at Dairy Services at Agriculture Victoria, Scott MacDonald, talk about the development of the new national guidelines for dairy feed pads and contained housing. An incredibly comprehensive guide to help with decision-making around establishing, modifying and using the various types of feed pads or dairy cattle housing. It is equally relevant to farm owners, the farm workforce or their advisors. Welcome, Scott, and thanks for joining me today um, for today's discussion. Um, Before we actually get started, can can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in your current role? Uh, Yes, so Scott McDonnell, I work for Agriculture Victoria. Uh, I've been with the department for 23 years. I'm the program manager for dairy services. I'm a dairy development specialist, and I operate out of Echuca, Victoria. Thanks, Scott. So we're here today uh, to talk about the launch of the National Guidelines for Dairy Feed Pads and Contained Housing. So can you briefly tell listeners about um, these guidelines? Uh, So the guidelines is a combination of two years of work. So it's about putting in place a set of national guidelines that dairy farmers can use that are contemplating, exploring or transitioning to either different feeding or housing systems. So the guidelines involve 20 subject matter experts, uh, 10 were from Agriculture Victoria across various uh, technical themes, five from the US and five from the Victorian private sector, engineers, soil consultants, agronomists, nutritionists type people. And of course, these guidelines are unique. They're the second edition guidelines, um, but they're also national guidelines. So can you tell us why there was a need uh, to update these guidelines just recently? Yeah, so the second edition is the first guidelines we started writing in 2008. They were the Victorian Dairy Feed Pads and Free Store Guidelines. So 2008, they were launched in 2010. Uh, over the last six or so years, the world's changed in relation to dairy in that there was a need to provide more technical information, uh, environmental acts changed across the states. So, for example, New South Wales introduced the intensive livestock set of guidelines. Victoria changed its planning provisions to introduce intensive dairy farms. EPAs across Australia have upgraded, modernised their environment protection policies. Uh, And we also know, talking to farmers regularly, that farm systems are changing quite significantly. Uh, There's a percentage of the industry that are considering a zero grazing approach. So they are looking at putting cows into house systems. The original guidelines pretty much focused on free stalls and sort of large feed pads with roofs. It didn't have the breadth to go into the sort of the loose housing, the compost barn type of systems, and it didn't didn't cover the, the dry lots. Uh, so over the last, the last six years, there's been so many changes in planning and regulations and industries and way farmers farm. There was more of a need to write a national set of guidelines. Uh, so it was easy to update the Victorian guidelines, but then it wouldn't count for farmers in Queensland, Western Australia, and all the other states. So it was sort of a no brainer to, to work with industry through Dairy Australia, engage their technical knowledge, their contacts, particularly with the US, and produce a, a fairly robust technical piece of information 
embedded in these guidelines that every every Australian dairy farmer can actually use. And you talked about the, the different partners, so there's been global writers, local experts writing information. Um, the information that's in, included in the guidelines, um, it, how is that, what's that been based upon? Is it um, known research or is it practical experience? Tell us some from that perspective. So the guidelines evolution from the first edition. So we sort of had the blueprint. We had the foundations of what information was there. So the start of the process of getting into a national guidelines, which were going to be a bit more robust, uh, a lot more technical, underpinned by the latest science and industry best practice. We sent the original guidelines out to a range of consultants and we asked them what's missing. What does the Victorian guidelines not have that's currently should be in the guidelines? How do we improve, improve this information? So once you sort of got that sort of collective feedback from private sectors, from other agencies who were working with these developments, he sort of gave us the blueprint, the draft, the chapters for the national guidelines. Once we got those 13 chapters identified as absolutely critical, so the changes particularly were, were automatic milking systems, uh, transition from grazing to intensification, um, the energy stuff weren't in the original guidelines. They come through in that discussion as absolutely critical bits of information that need to go in it. Once we got the chapters identified, then we actually identified who was the best person, who was the renowned subject matter expert in the field that could actually write that chapter. Then over the authors, so as we said, 20 authors all up, we, we had a technical reference group, which were also subject matter experts in their own right, combination of sort of uh, researchers, doctors in nutrition, engineers, they provide a technical peer review of all the chapters. So it was a, a lot of toing and froing between the technical stuff. So a lot of peer reviewing, a lot of testing the information was robust, a lot of ensuring that the information was underpinned, as I said earlier, by, by robust science. It had to have published papers or research that was already out there. So the guidelines are not based on sort of gut feel or people's opinions. It's underpinned scientifically and based on information that is through the industries, through Australia and through the USA. And Scott, it's it's taken you two years to to bring together um, the, the, the the chapters, I guess, for the guidelines. What have you noticed um, in this space out in industry, um, the, the rapid nature of changing? Like how has that influenced um, the production of these guidelines? So the industry, we sort of got a good read on the industry in about 2016 on this transformation. So the inquiries coming into Agriculture Victoria in relation to potential barn and free store developments was starting to become quite significant to the point that we were probably receiving 25 inquiries every year, uh, which was starting to show that we needed to add a lot more content into the original guidelines. You've talked about um, the, the benefits and the knowledge that's underpinned the guidelines. Can you describe what um, the changes that you've seen in the industry um, in the in the last uh, fifteen years? Yeah. Yeah. So the big right? changes. Yeah. So the big changes that's coming through the industry is 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 a lot more exploration of these house systems. So with that comes anaerobic digesting technology, more advanced manure separation technology, uh, animal welfare. Uh, the engineer designs around the facilities. So these are the questions that were coming in regularly from farmers right across Australia. They're asking about the manure systems, they're asking about what the sheds look like, how big are they? So that sort of prompted us to write a set of guidelines that we could answer all their questions and more. So we could go way beyond typical answers, but sort of anticipating 
the questions that they hadn't asked but were potentially were going to come once they got further down the track. So the questions sort of started early on around, I'm thinking about building this, so they're sort of fairly high-level sort of questioning. Once they sort of started getting into the development, into the planning phases, they're asking another series of questions around what are the plan, what's the planning process, what are the government agencies are going to deal with, what sort of compost system am I going to use in the shed? So the guidelines sort of pick up all those layers of questions depending on the stage where the farmers are at. And when you're thinking about, um, you've spoken about planning agencies and other government organisations working with farmers in this space, um, how important are the guidelines for, for those representatives in industry? What, what, will, they, what will they do for those um, organisations? The guidelines are absolutely critical from a from a statutory and a regulatory planning perspective because firstly it shows confidence that the industry is in front of the game. It's actually going to the effort of spending two years writing very technical high-level guidelines. So it doesn't matter if you're a local planner with the local council, whether you're EPA or catchment authorities. As you start to review some of these applications coming forward, it gives you a lot of confidence to know that the Australian dairy industry has gone to all this effort to set up set and place a national set of guidelines which underpins all their thinking so the questions that they're going to ask from a planning perspective are already answered in the guidelines so it gives the agencies confidence that the industry's uh, serious about the transformation it also stops the agencies from trying to look elsewhere because as soon as an application comes into a council they're going to try and look at the default codes and the guidelines that relate to that industry if they start looking into the dairy industry pre the national guidelines, the other states wouldn't have found any state or national guidelines that represented intensive dairy. So they would suddenly default to, all right, what's the closest? More likely they would, would go into the beef cattle code, which is sort of what we're seeing a bit now in South Australia for those developments. Um, so pre-national guidelines, uh, there's no state guidelines in South Australia around house or intensive dairy. So the nearest thing is beef cattle. Code. So they're asking farmers to start working through the cattle code to address their planning applications. The national guidelines now sort of starts to break that mindset is that we have our own set of industry standards, our own guidelines that are more specific to, uh, to the dairy industry. And I think that's important to pick up on too, Scott, because some of the early innovators in, in our industry have gone um, overseas to pick up information and, and to learn over there. Now, um, how important is it to make sure that we're um, making sure that we make these decisions when it comes to planning that suit Australian conditions? So with your experience, you could talk about some of those examples potentially. Yes, yeah, so the terminology we use is quite quite critical, as we said, particularly compost barns, but the barns was coming through. So from a planning perspective, the agencies see compost as not traditionally a part of any dairy industry, apart from a bit of manure stockpiling and sort of composting. But in relation to cows on composted area, it's not associated with dairy. So that sort of gives them a false mindset that livestock compost manure, that's manure packed and being exposed to the weather, a bit like the feedlot scenario. So they're going to ask questions around odour mitigation, uh, risk of nutrient runoff from the area. So from a planning perspective, we talk about compost and dairy is completely different. The compost is in a house facility. It's dry, it's managed, it's maintained, it's it's filled every, every three times a day to make sure there's no compromise of annual welfare or production. So it's about trying to 
explain to the agencies that planting from dairy is totally different to a beef feedlot or any other sort of intensive animal industry. And of course, as as a farmer, if I was um, looking to build um, those type of systems in Australia, what do I need to be mindful of, and how will the guidelines assist me in knowing what to know? For example, with climate, the guidelines provide a, a range of information, so they're a good starting point. It sort of helps you understand the type of systems. So if you're at the early stage of considering what sort of infrastructure might suit from a housing or feeding. There's parts in the guidelines, particularly at the back end, around the type of feeding infrastructure associated with the feeding systems. Uh, building a contained housing may not be the solution for some farms. Uh, so it gives you an opportunity to explore the potential infrastructure and the options available that might suit the farm situation. Some farmers that have, have gone through that stage and they're sort of pushing towards the house system stuff will start to go overseas, particularly the US, because they're, they're tried and tested. There's so many around. So they'll start to take the exploration of the system a bit further by doing a bit of a study tour. They get a better understanding of how they operate. And when they come back into Australia, then they start our planning. The planning in Australia for these things is different to, to other countries, obviously. Very similar environmental outcomes, but from a statutory planning, each stake has its own unique unique bent on how these systems are processed. So the guidelines sort of help navigate the information you need to prepare, the type of people you need to engage in your project team, right from the farm business manager to all the owners, operators, right through to the various consultants that you will need to engage to get through this journey. So how important um, with these guidelines is it to well, how regularly will they need to be updated, Scott? This is the second edition. It's been, what, 12 years since the first edition. In your eyes, um, will it be that same amount of time or a shorter time frame? Uh, generally, when you write guidelines because of the work involved, you want longevity. So you want at least 10 years out of the guidelines. The guidelines can stay in place as long as the world sort of stays constant. So, for example, the Beef Cattle Code in Victoria has been here 20 years because farming practices have, have remained fairly similar. The Environment Protection Act has, hasn't changed. Uh, legislation hasn't changed. But these guidelines are sort of, they're written for the future. They're written to give us longevity in that we think we get at least 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Uh, there won't be a lot of changes, but the, the guidelines are written at a, a higher level. So the information's a bit more universal, uh, a bit more adaptable. So we would hope to get at least 15, 20 years out of those guidelines. If something comes in that's quite significant, whether it's from a legislation or a planning perspective or there's a new system particularly comes in around farming, which we can't foresee at this stage, but if something significantly changes that prompts us to we've got to update it, we will insert a new chapter into the guidelines, which because it's a live document, so even though we think we'll get 20 years out of it, it's a live document. So if something changes from a planning perspective or from a farm system perspective or from an industry perspective, we can update those guidelines very quickly and make those changes. So it gives complete confidence to the reader that it's the latest and um, best resource we have available um, at this time. So the guidelines themselves, um, the second edition of guidelines, I guess they're a lot lengthier than the first. Um, and in fact, there's 245 pages there. Um, to a reader, um, how would you best um, advise them to use it as a resource? Yes, a lot of pages. So um, 245 pages is a, a couple of nights reading. We would suggest that you 
you start with the contents. So from a from a reader's perspective, depending on whether you're a farmer, if depending on what information you need. So if you're at the early stages of trying to figure out what is a free store, what is a compost barn, would it suit my situation? Focus a bit more on the, the back section, which looks at the different types of farm systems. Understand the infrastructure available, then start to go into the engineering section, which will start to sort of give you a bit of the, an image or the understanding of what those systems actually look like. If you already made that decision, you know you're going to build a compost barn, for example, well, that's an information, you've passed that. So you're into the design stuff. You're probably more starting to focus onto the um, planning. So you're starting to navigate who are the agencies I've got to deal with, what are the environmental reports, the effluent plans I've got to generate, what's that journey look like. If you're already advanced in that sort of aspect of your planning, then you're starting to hone in on the chapters like um, the manure systems. What manure system going to look like? What's the, the bedding compost manure going to look like? So you sort of... At that stage, if you're at a stage where you're already operating, for example, then then the chapters that might be more relevant might be the energy chapters. You can say, well, I'm operating this sort of system. I'm, I'm thinking about exploring anaerobic digestion technology and well, it would suit. That sort of the chapter would suit you. So the chapters will sort of dictate where you are up to in your journey. So don't read mm. it from cover to cover. It's just honing on those specific chapters that is relevant to you at the time. Great advice. And um, farmers, in in some cases, they're still in that consideration stage, Scott. They're thinking about making a farm farm system change, albeit related to feeding or housing infrastructure. Um, Are there other tools that are available that might be able to assist their thinking and their planning moving forward? Uh, There's a big tool coming, which um, farm system evaluator, which is an absolutely critical piece of work uh, between Dairy Australia and Agriculture Victoria. So a lot of early questions that farmers are bringing up were in the exploration stage, I'll ask some questions about what sort of infrastructures are there out there, what are other farmers doing, does it work, how will it apply in my situation. So apart from going and visiting a lot of farms and trying to figure out how all these systems work, there's not a lot of information that's been traditionally in the industry around, around the housing sort of stuff. There's a lot of feed pad information. Uh, over the years, but in relation to housing, the Victorian Dairy Feed Pads and Free Store Guidelines was the first. Um, but that sort of gave you a bit of an insight into the type of systems. But what we found was a critical piece of information we needed to develop was this decision tool. So the farm system evaluator is what we would say is absolutely critical in the early stages of your thinking. Uh, firstly, it will help identify potential solutions, so feeding infrastructure or housing solutions to your particular circumstances. Uh, but the back end of the tool is probably the most critical. It actually tells you how ready you are because we know that the early adopters have gone into these house systems have taken four, five, six years to go through a lot of due diligence in their planning, a lot of trips to the US, a lot of discussions with a range of sort of professional people. This tool helps you sort of work at your own pace. It helps you figure out, is this the best option? Uh, Then it takes you through 13 key performance areas and it tells you how ready you are. So going into the house system, there's lots of balls to juggle in relation to the feed base, the animal genetics, planning, effluent management, milk marketing. There's a whole range of decisions you've got to consider. This tool breaks that down bit by bit and it sort of guides your journey on how ready you are and what you need to do next. It gives a bit more of that long-term strategic thinking. 
Well, it certainly sounds like a game changer, Scott. So when's that going to be available to assist industry? Uh, hopefully June this year. So that's another big product that's taken a swell over a year. It's, it's, it's a very complex piece of work. Um, but the good good thing is that we've done user testing with a range of farmers. Uh, we know it works. We know it works well. Uh, we know it is going to be a game changer. Yeah, sounds exciting. And then what else? What's next in terms of critical projects in this space that our audience can look out for and look forward to in the future? So the two big masterpieces I said to get get the industry underway was the national guidelines that sets the standards and provides a breadth of information. The farm system evaluator, as I said, was another critical piece that sort of helps free guidelines. Uh, the world's going to change, continue to change, particularly around energy and labour. So there's a lot more work that needs to be done and is currently underway. So there's there's more advances in the economics. So we need to do a lot more work on the total mixed rations economics and understanding of these systems. Now we've got a lot of range, a range of these systems operating. Uh, it's a great opportunity to get more up-to-date data. Uh, we've got to spend a bit more time on biogas, as we said, the anaerobic digestion technologies here. There's providers in the country. Farmers are now saying, I've got the, I've got the system that suits. There's a lot of cows on concrete. Um, there's opportunities to generate some energy at the back end. So there's a biogas bio feasibility assessment tool currently being developed by Agriculture Victoria. Uh, there's some bedding trials that have been done by Charles Sturt, which is well, fantastic because one of the big questions at the moment is what sort of bedding material should I use? What's best? How do I maintain it? So those trials will be very informative. We know we've got to push further into odour modelling, particularly because we've got these farmers that are operating these systems and going forward, it'll be easier for the ones that come into the planning if we can produce actual dairy-specific odour data models rather than trying to default to beef cattle odour sort of stuff. So the odour modelling needs to be done. Uh, as I said, we've got the farms we can actually do the modelling sampling on now. Each state's also in the process of updating their effluent manure guidelines. Western Australia's already taken the lead and completed those. South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales and Tasmania are all in the throes of updating their effluent manure guidelines. Similar to the national guidelines, the world's changed. Farmers are farming differently to the to when they were 10 years ago. So states need to update those guidelines to reflect current best practice. Uh, the raising the roof uh, was a was a masterpiece last year or well, the year before where we invited farmers to sort of come at the early stages to see some of these farms firsthand. Uh, that provided a great opportunity not just for farmers to see these systems operating but it provided a good sort of connection between industry, between the private sector, some of the providers, the US not technology. Uh, the Victorian engineers, so it was a good good opportunity to get these people in the in the same forum, just have a, a discussion. So so that's going to be planned later this year, uh, in November. Uh, so that will be a game changer. Other thing that's critical is that uh, an initiative through Dairy Australia is that there, was, there needs to be a national strategy on dairy intensification. So let's look at what research, development, extension needs to be done going forward. Uh, that's going to be quite informative because that's going to involve a lot of agencies, a lot of consultation. So having a national strategy coming out of the industry is quite important because it gives confidence for government agencies and investors to look to invest in the RD&E coming out of the industry if they can sort of see a common core. So, so national ones, absolutely critical. 
Uh, and the only other thing that sort of we're working on, we haven't we currently have a national effluent design course. We've added an, an intensification model into that. So when we train private sectors in effluent engineering, they they better understand the intensification side of things when designing effluent manure systems. Gosh, so there's certainly lots to look forward to um, in the new future, Scott, um, in this space. So, Scott, um, final last thing, um, how can people access the guidelines uh, in the future or now? Uh, the guidelines are embedded on Dairy Australia's website. So go straight to Dairy Australia, the website. You know, it's very easy to navigate the guidelines. Uh, so, so this is the virtual live version that we'll continue to work on. But if you're looking for a hard copy, we have currently printed out 400 hard copies, either contact Karen Romano or myself, uh, and we'll post you out a, out a set of guidelines. Brilliant. So, Scott, look, um, thanks for your time today and, and uh, for delving deeper into the national guidelines. It seems that they truly are a world-class resource and one that is a, definitely a go-to, albeit whether you're a farmer, a service provider or um, uh, offering advice in planning across all states in Australia. It's been a true pleasure and I thank thanks for your time, Scott, today. Thanks, Karen. If you would like to find out more about the National Guidelines for Dairy Feed Pads and Contained Housing, you can download the book now at www.dairyaustralia.com.au and use the search term National Guidelines. We have also placed the link in the episode notes along with contacts for requesting a printed hard copy of the guide. We really do hope that you have enjoyed this Dairy Pod episode and if you have any questions about the podcast, or have suggestions or ideas for future episodes, you can get in touch by emailing us at dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now.